Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday. Easter is next week. Can you believe it? Hey, bring a friend to Easter. It's going to be awesome to celebrate the risen Lord. We have Good Friday services as well. You're not going to want to miss those. Um, and we are going to transition into a new series next week on uh, Psalms. We're going to go through the Psalms up until the fall. So that's going to be fantastic. Today is the last day in this series called Find Your Voice. And the series Find Your Voice, my goodness, we have gone through all of the hot-button cultural issues. We've talked about abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. We have talked about God and government. We've talked about LGBTQ plus one and two, transgenderism. And then last week, we started talking about racism and violence. And today is racism and violence part two. I hope you're ready. Like, these are serious topics, and here's why we're doing this series. Because as Christians, we're not that good at discussing these things with grace and truth. We're not that good at discerning what's going on in the world, and then looking into the Bible and saying, how do we think clearly about these issues, right? Uh, how do we care deeply about other people? How do we respond biblically when these topics come up? So today, we are going to be in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 10. So you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 10. And uh, we're going to look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. Um, now, this series, in part, has grown out of um, my desire, based on what happened in our country last year in the area of racism and violence, uh, my desire to help heal the pain that last year caused to our nation, to our church, to our community. And my heart is broken over just how divided and destructive our country has become along racial lines. I hope you too are brokenhearted after last year. I hope you're brokenhearted. I hope your heart is somehow softer and more ready to try and find ways to improve the situation. I hope we didn't make it out of last year with hearts that are harder and more determined to dig in and to not see a solution come about. I have a bold vision for our church family. I want Christ to transform us into a church where we can Listen to people who are different from us with empathy. Ears are closed right now. I want us as a church to be able to truly understand our differences, especially when that comes from our background. I want us to hold our opinions humbly, because good people can disagree on especially political issues. And I want us all to feel like we can strive to repair what sin has broken. That's my heart, and that's where this is growing out of. So, two-part message. <coughs> the first part is... How did the early church battle prejudice, discrimination, and segregation? The early church will give us an example of how they battled it, and oh boy, did they. And then the second part of the message is, if this is how the church battled it, and if this is what the church modeled for us, what is the world telling us, and how is the world's plan different from what we see in Scripture? Let's pray, and then we'll get into it together. Father, we humbly ask you to form our hearts, to shape our minds, and to transform us in this area. Lord, our country is an absolute disaster when it comes to this. Things have gotten worse despite policy changes, despite many years of uh, seeming progress, Lord. The, there's so much hatred. There's so much, Lord, along racial lines, tension. Uh, there's so much hurt. There's so much pain. And I just pray that you would show us as a church how to not be conformed to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by your love, by your grace. And make us a beacon, Lord, of diversity, a beacon of love and mutual care, understanding and uh, careful listening. Lord, fill our hearts with all the love that we see modeled in Scripture. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Acts 10. The first thing you can write down is this. Uh, the early church set a great example for us. The early church set a great example for us. What kind of church are we going to become? Well, <clears throat> let's go to Acts 10. Acts 10 happens shortly after Jesus was raised to life. The early church exploded on the scene at Pentecost. God made it clear he wanted a diverse, globally diverse community by giving uh, the uh, early church the, the miracle of languages so they could just go to nations and already know how to speak their tongue and uh, get the gospel to them. So he was regathering the whole world under the banner of the gospel. But there were still problems in the hearts, especially of the Jews, uh, that prevented them from embracing this idea of letting those people, those, those people into the church. So God had to do a work in Peter's heart. It says in chapter 10, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So meet Cornelius. Cornelius was a tough guy, a military man, in charge of a hundred soldiers in camo pants, right? Now he's a Roman guy, right? So they kind of wore different armor. But imagine a guy who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. This is a tough guy. You know, I'm imagining a guy who looks like the rock, right? This is a tough guy, but he's godly. It says he was uh, what was known as the Italian court, a devout man who feared God with all of his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So this would be called somebody who converted to the Jewish faith. He, was, uh, he, he noticed that there is one true God. He uh, was God-fearing, and he began to support the Jewish people and, and become a devout God-fearer. He was devout, which means he displayed piety and reverence to God. He feared God, which in the book of Proverbs, it says this is the beginning of wisdom. He wasn't just tough, he was good. He gave generously. He loved people, especially the poor and the needy. He had a generous, generous heart, just like God. This is Cornelius. He prayed continually, which means even though he was strong, I don't know about you, but if I had a hundred soldiers following me around everywhere I went, I might not pray as much. I might be like, what do I need to pray for? I got my boys with me. Get out of my way, right? <laughs> Go to the DMV, get out of my way. I got a hundred soldiers with me. Who needs to pray? I've got a hundred soldiers. He was a man of prayer. This is Cornelius. Then it says in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, is a vision. A vision is when God, when you're awake, prompts a spiritual drama to play out before your eyes. Saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. So now this big tough guy was scared to death. One angel, right? And one angel in a vision is all it took to turn this soldier white as a ghost. His jaw dropped to the floor. He froze in terror. It says he was much alarmed, full of fear. His strength melted away like snow in the presence of one angel. Who's the real tough guy here? It's the Lord. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Wow. So an angel shows up, tells him where to find this guy named Peter, because even though Cornelius was devout and righteous and upright, even though his good acts 
and his prayers had ascended to the God above, something was missing. In a way, everything was missing. He hadn't yet heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says in verse 9, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up uh, on the housetop above the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Wow. So Peter was praying, and he was hungry. And prayer is such an essential part of advancing the gospel. And then he sees a vision. And in his vision, this spiritual drama with a message unfolded. And there was this giant sheet coming down with all of these, what would be called unclean animals in the Old Testament. Food restrictions in the Old Testament were set up to make God's people distinct and separate. They also set up a cultural barrier because God didn't want his people intermingling with the nations around Israel at the time because they would have fallen prey to idolatry, sexual immorality, and it could have jeopardized the nation and the whole mission to bring the Messiah into the world. So as a temporary measure, God set up these cultural barriers. And because of that, the Jews and the Gentiles couldn't even eat together, right? It's really important to understand this. The food restrictions served a purpose in the Old Testament to create a distinct people of God. But now that that purpose has been fulfilled in the New Testament, Jesus declared all food ceremonially clean. He broke down every barrier so that people can regather and start getting back together. But Peter didn't know how that was supposed to work yet. He was like, is this some sort of a test? I know I'm not supposed to eat that stuff with those people, right? So he was thinking about that. The vision happened three times to verify its truthfulness. Maybe Peter was slow to get the memo. The angel running the remote had to press play again and again, and then they were good. Sometimes men need to be told things more than once. Maybe you didn't know that. So then in verse 17, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Soldiers show up, right? (laughs) The law. And when Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Hey, the Spirit can speak, member of the Trinity. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. (laughs) Peter had to feel pretty good about himself. (laughs) Peter walks in, whole room's full, and the rock gets up and kneels down right in front of him, charge of a hundred soldiers bowing in front of him. Now, some of us may be tempted in that moment to be like, ha, look at me, (laughs) how great I art, right? But Peter knew he'd get in big trouble with Jesus if he allowed this to stand, right? 
So he's like, ah, get up, <laughs> right? Get up, do not bow before me. Um, and so Peter lifted him up, verse 26, saying, uh, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. He said to them, Peter said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from any other nation. Now, do you see the starting point here? It's really important to see the starting point. Okay. Jews didn't go eat with non-Jews. Those people, right? Oh, we don't go in their homes. Oh, we don't sit at their tables. Oh, we don't eat their food. It's the starting point. Jesus has a church to build from every nation, but his people were like, oh, I can't go in there with them and eat that starting point. Would you, would you agree there are some pretty big barriers that have to be crossed here to get the gospel actually going? And when it comes to what was going on here, God established these barriers to guard his people initially, but these barriers and boundaries were actually perverted by Israel and twisted and warped to elevate their status. God was very clear with them in the Old Testament. I didn't pick you because there was anything special about you. All throughout the Old Testament, he made it clear, I'm going to call all the nations to myself. The Gentiles were here. The It's all about the world. It's all about the world. And Israel was just kind of like, so we're the most amazing country ever? No, you're not getting it. So they inflated themselves up. They even made extra rules to make sure that no one could get through those either to isolate themselves from the rest of the world. The, um, this was not racial segregation. This was cultural and religious. But it's even worse, okay? Uh, because Peter would have walked out, originally walked out of a setting like this, feeling like he became spiritually contaminated by being around those people. His soul was dirty now. And he would have had to go before any of his relatives would have let him into the family. You were where? He would have had to ceremonially purify himself for days before he could even have gone into the temple or been around mom or like, your soul is filthy because you were around those people. Get out of here. Things were bad, right? So God had a lot of work to do to prepare Peter to share the good news with um, Cornelius, this disgusting, foreign, overlord, immigrant, unholy, unclean, Gentile dog. That's what he was raised on. Wow. But now there was a new covenant. Christ died and his blood was shed and now the world was being regathered. So God was doing a work in Peter's heart. And it said in verse 27, as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. 
I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house. The ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, said, Cornelius, your prayer has been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. You've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now talk about a fastball down the middle. You want to lead people to Christ? We've got a whole household full uh, and an angel told us, you're the person, so preach it. I wish it could always happen that way, right? Wow. So Peter opened his mouth. It's always dangerous. Peter opened his mouth, said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he shared the gospel with them. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. They threw him in a tomb. On the third day, he rose again, and now he is Lord of all. And he commanded us to preach the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, when Peter was still saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him to remain for some days. All right, let's pull some principles out of this amazing, unbelievable story. Jot this down. Number one, marvel at God's supernatural effort to unify a saved people from every nation. Marvel. Peter marveled. Even them? Angels. Visions. To do what? To cross over the barriers to get to those people with the love of Christ. Marvel at God's supernatural effort to unify a saved people from every nation. What is God doing? Saving people from every nation, tribe, and tongue supernaturally. Wow! Wow! We've got some pictures here from different nations. Uh, we'll go to the pictures from different nations. There we go. And uh, you see how God made people different. Here's another picture. And God has a heart for every different type of person. And uh, this next picture, this guy's from uh, Mongolia. He's not my favorite. I love his outfit. God made people different. And marvel at God's supernatural effort to unify a saved people from every nation. Peter saw that. Angels, visions, God putting people together. Number two, jot this down. Reject all notions of supremacy and inferiority based on human differences. Reject all notions. This is what the church is modeling for us. 
of supremacy or inferiority based on human differences. Peter showed up. You know what the law says. I'm not even supposed to be here, but I came. The vision, all these different animals coming down, rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord! He said, don't call anything unclean that God has called clean. Those restrictions were temporary. They served their purpose. They never had anything to do with condemning those people outside the nation of Israel. Now that the Messiah has come, it's time to get to work. Don't call them common. Don't call them unclean. Reject all notions of supremacy or inferiority based on human differences. The Holy Spirit of God fell on these people. God himself took up residence. That's what happens when you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. You become a temple of the living God. And we together collectively become the place of God's dwelling. And the Bible warns us, if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. This is the example of the early church. Number three, identify and forsake all barriers of discrimination. So there were religious efforts to scorn other cultures, to demean them, to prevent their welcome into the family of God. Israel wouldn't allow them to come and worship. They made it very hard for them through the money changers, very costly for them to come and to worship, very hard to worship the one true God. And, and we see here that the early church realized that's over, that's done. There are a few church councils uh, recorded in the book of Acts where they got together and they said, what do we do about these Gentiles? Some people said, oh, they need the Old Testament, they need Moses, and they need to follow all of those rules, right? And the food, in other words, heap the law on them. And the church council basically said, we didn't even keep all that. <laughs> what are you talking about? So they recognized that in Christ, we have been set free. So they said, look, stay away from idols and blood sacrifice to idols, right? Like, like sexual immorality, okay? Like, and you're free in Christ. A lot of the Jews couldn't take that. So they had to identify and forsake all barriers of discrimination. Here's some pictures from last week, the Great Wall of China. There were walls of separation back then, and Christ tore them down. It says he tore down the dividing wall of hostility, and in Christ made us one new man, one new humanity. He's unifying us by breaking down barriers of discrimination. Again, in the Bible, they were cultural. They were, uh, there were language barriers. There were food barriers. There were religious barriers. He was taking them all out. The church, if you think about it, right now on earth, people are gathering right now and throughout all hours of the day based on the time zone today to worship the risen Lord. They're gathering. The church is the most unbelievable organization on earth. Right now, people from the far corners of the planet are worshiping the Messiah, Jesus Christ, just like us. They're learning the same book, the Bible. They're growing in love. They have hope of ending in the same place as us in heaven we are one big, global, scattered family of faith. People come together to praise Jesus and then go back to their various cultural expressions of community. And Jesus is being praised today in thousands of tongues. That's the church. We sing to the same king. The church is the best beacon of diversity on the planet today because we're unified by faith, by hope, and by love, it's already happening. 
The early church gave us an example, and the church of Christ still expands in love and diversity today. Identify and forsake all barriers of discrimination. Number four, reach across all human boundaries with Christ's love and truth. Peter had to reach across. And this is a great vision that we can have for our church, that we as Christians would be the first to make an everyday effort to reach across boundaries and barriers of discrimination with the love and truth of Christ. Reach across all human boundaries with Christ's love and truth. These include racial boundaries, social boundaries, cultural, religious, economic, language barriers. Paul said, I've become all things to all people. It doesn't mean that he becomes everything in their form of depravity. It means he's learning to connect with them, to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. Jesus is the risen Lord, Peter said, Lord of all. The judge, he said, of all people living and dead. Christians today sometimes reject this notion. Well, sure, I believe in Jesus, but it's not like everyone has to believe in Jesus, right? Big polls that come out of Lifeway have shown that over half of Christians at times have said, well, I don't need to share my faith with anybody else. I mean, that's just between me and God. Do you understand what the Bible says here? We are not to keep it to ourselves. We're to reach across every human boundary with Christ's love and truth. That is the Great Commission. Number five, embrace and unleash God's powerful presence in a diverse community. They embraced God's presence. The Holy Spirit fell. They unleashed it in a diverse community. Listen, God's power through the gospel and the Spirit was unifying His church for His glory. That's the generator. All right, that, that's the nuclear power plant that fuels this new nation, this new people, this new group built on diversity, and it actually works. So this is the example the early church set for us. Now, let's turn a corner, because the world is in big trouble. The world is in big trouble, and it's presenting us with an opposite proposal. So write this down. The world is presenting us with an opposite proposal. The world is in big trouble. It, it has not solved this problem. It cannot solve this problem. And it will not solve this problem like Jesus will. Okay? So the world is presenting an opposite proposal. Here's some pictures. These were in the beginning originally, Danny. But here's some pictures from what's been going on in our world today when it comes to racism and violence. Check it out. Historically, we've been a divided people. Uh, these are pictures including the civil rights movement. Uh, these also include uh, the deportation of Mexican people after they were blamed for the Great Depression. It also includes riots in schools in L.A. because there was uh, atrocious schools in the Hispanic community there. During World War II, the Japanese people were tagged and uh, branded and sent off to internment camps in towns where they waited out of the war. There have been so many things historically in the U.S. that show that racism has been a gigantic problem. Here's the next picture. And so there are constantly people who are trying to say this is a giant problem. Stop anti-Asian racism now. This is my home too. Say no to Islamophobia. Uh, my skin color is not a crime. Here's the next picture. And things last year just completely blew up. Completely blew up. The whole country was set on fire. Started over in Minnesota. The George Floyd's death. And... Um, Here's the next picture. Is that the last one? So what you see here is turmoil. The country has failed to solve 
the problem of racism and violence. It seems to be getting worse, not better. And the current extreme theories of social change that drive the pictures that you see, that drive humanity, uh, drive humanity away from the biblical principles that we just saw. So we have to be informed so we don't give way to worldly ideologies. So if the world's plan was to be compared to what we just observed in the church, what would be some features that we see right now of the plan that the world is presenting to us? Well, number one, they would say there is no spiritual agreement on God or his plan, and religion is a tool of oppression. So there is no spiritual unifying call to become a new people under the headship of Christ. There's no spiritual agreement. So either you have on the one side a pluralism, you have a whatever you believe is fine, just go with it. Or sometimes on the other side, for a long time, racism was spiritualized. People used the Bible to justify slavery. White supremacists still cling to the false doctrine that God engineered the races for discrimination and oppression. That's false. It's unbiblical. Uh, but the cultural winds today that are blowing are secular. So they're not spiritualizing the issue, they're secular, secularizing the issue. They're denying not just the Christian view of humanity and spirituality, but they're denying not just the truth about Jesus, uh, they're denying the truth about humanity, the fact that we have a, even have a soul and a nature and sin, that we must be saved. They're denying all of that, and it's just a materialistic starting point. Because Jesus is not the starting point, because the spiritual side is denied or blended, because the Bible is not the manual, because the church is not the rallying point, this is a secular effort. And therefore, it's not <clears throat> built on the solid foundation of the teachings of Christ. And all other ground is sinking sand. Whatever they build, whatever they build, whatever they build, if it's built on a secular foundation, if it's not built on the spiritual foundation of the truths of Scripture of Jesus Christ, it will fall when the winds and the waves rise up against it. It might be glorious. It might be decades long. It might be sophisticated. It might be reasonable, but it will fall over because it's secular. So there's no spiritual agreement on God, his plan. Religion is seen as a tool of oppression. And that's not what we see in the early church. In the early church, we marvel at God's supernatural effort to unify a saved people from every nation. The world is showing us no spiritual agreement on God. Number two, the world would demonstrate that people should be sorted into victims and villains based on their race and ideology. People should be sorted into victims or villains based on their race and ideology. The church modeled that they would reject all notions of supremacy or inferiority based on human differences, but the world is showing us that people should actually be sorted by their race and their ideology. The only two permanent categories of humanity in Scripture are saved and unsaved. Those are the only two permanent categories, saved and unsaved. And so today we live in a world where there's identity politics and what's called intersectionality, where everyone is trying to put themselves or everyone's trying to put everyone else into the right box, and it's usually according to your race and your ideology about race. In the end, you become one of those people in that group. The barriers are going up, and they're getting thicker. Socially, people are being sorted into boxes, camps, and the sortings are pushing people to different extremes. So what are the extreme groups that are out there trying to capture people into their group? What are the extreme brandings that people are throwing at other people? Well, we've got some pictures here. 
Um, this, this is a picture on the, on the right from the Charlottesville uh, riots or the uprising that happened back in 2017. And on the right, you have the neo-Nazis, you have the skinheads, but then you have this new group called the alt-right or the alt-light that are uh, basically repackaging white supremacist dogma. And they are seeking to build society on white superiority. Here's the next picture. So they were rallying around a Confederate monument to General Lee, and things got all problematic, and then there was a counter-protest, and then a white supremacist drew his drove his car through it, and then President Trump made a comment about the monument debate saying there are good people on both sides, and then it just blew up and uh, became politicized. But you see it today that there are people who are trying to say, based on race, on the right, based on the white race, that you have to rise up and fight to protect yourself because your race is in jeopardy. This is extreme groups. On the left, you have uh, Antifa, which is short for anti-fascist, and the uh, Antifa, these are, um, this is a group of people willing to use violence against the police, against um, the uh, far right, basically saying, look, if you're going to bring it, if you're going to get violent, if you're going to get radical, so are we. And then uh, the Antifa group clashed regularly with the alt-right last year, so uh, very violent, very uh, polarizing, willing to, willing to do whatever it takes to further uh, their understanding. The Black Lives Matter movement, so there's the slogan, Black Lives Matter, which everyone would agree with that, Black Lives Matter, but then it's actually, there's a movement, like you can read on the 12-point you know, system of the movement that was generated many years ago, so it's a movement as well. The Black Lives Matter movement is a very extreme group that demands the total overhaul of society and appropriates many unbiblical forms of morality. Um, and so the movement is a radical left-wing ideology. And then there's a theory, the critical race theory, which is built on Marxist ideology, social theory, drives much of the philosophy on the left right now. And um, ultimately, I'll cover a lot of this more on my webcast on Thursday. I hope you can jump on because I don't have time to dig down on these different groups. But at the heart of critical race theory is the claim that every white person is a supremacist. And so it's awfully hard to have a generous conversation when that is your starting point. So the critical race theory drives much of the philosophy on the left right now. Uh, and it's become such a problem in Florida, they actually had to just ban this from being taught in the schools. They actually had to put a ban because people want critical race theory taught in the schools. So these are organizations and ideologies that fuel the racism and the violence we see in our world. Now, often people might hear parts of what these people are saying. Well, oh, they make a good point. They might hear parts of their demand for justice or their desire for good citizenship or, or for cleaned up streets or for less violence. And you have, oh, that, that makes, they make a good point. Oh, that part sounds good. And, but then the world is on fire and people don't understand. If you don't get down to the core ideology of these groups and notice that they are actually very radical, right, then you could get swept away into everything that they are presenting. So the early church set a model for us. They rejected all notions of supremacy or inferiority based on human differences. Today, these extreme groups are telling us people should be sorted into victims and villains based on their race and ideology. And we must disagree with that. No, we are not trying to permanently sort, sort people into these permanent groups based on their race and their ideology. We're not doing that. So number three, the world would say, 
And this is a two-part point. Some would identify all differences as discrimination. Others would embrace and enjoy the barriers. What do I mean by that? I mean that generally on the left, what's happening is there's a big push to say everything is racism. Everything. Everything is racism. And there's a big push on the far right to say nothing is racism. What are you talking about? Uh, we're past that. Or what's the problem anyway with a white majority or a white supremacy? So there's a counter push to say everything is you feel this, right? Everything is racism. And then others saying nothing is racism. And what are they doing? They're either saying, what's the problem with the barriers? I don't care about them. In fact, they make me safer, right? So there's some people saying, I don't have any problem with the barriers. And there's other people saying, everything's a barrier. Everything. So this is different than the model that we see in Scripture. We have to recognize that our world is still highly segregated. So to the people who would say, what's the big problem? Aren't we done with this already? Uh, no, we're not done with this already. We've got some pictures from cities here. You can put the first one up there. Uh, what we have here is, this is an example of Atlanta. Every dot on this map represents a person of a different race. Blue is white, green is black, red is Asian, uh, the uh, yellowish orange is Hispanic. Um, that's Atlanta. That's Atlanta you can see that we are still separated, segregated, not living lives together. Here's the next picture. Um, this is New York, New Jersey. New York, New Jersey, white, black, Asian, Hispanic. Is this problem in our past? It looks like we're not together still. It looks like we're still polarized and separated and living different lives. Here's the next picture. Uh, this is DC. Um, and you can see that even the capital is very segregated and uh, very present reality that we are divided. And here's the next picture. This is Chicago. Um, and you can see, it doesn't take long, where are all the white people? Where are most of the black people? Where are the Hispanic communities? We are very, very segregated. So if you're of the mindset that, didn't we get past this already? Why are we still talking about this? What's the big deal? We're very separated still. And people are reluctant to face the reality that there still is there are huge discrepancies geographically, huge discrepancies in the wealth gap, huge discrepancies in the incarceration rate, in the degree of education. And so we have to acknowledge that there are barriers. There are barriers. We have to acknowledge those barriers of separation. And then it takes great wisdom and humility in the church, as the early church showed us, to identify and forsake all barriers of discrimination. That can mean reaching across. That can mean working against. That can mean tearing down. It can, it's a coming together. This is where it gets kind of messy because people have different political opinions on where the problem comes from and what the solution is. And then often the conversation just shuts down and everyone retreats to their previous prejudices and they just stay where they were, right? We don't have to agree on everything socially, politically, financially, right? But we have to, as the early church showed us, identify and forsake barriers of discrimination we have to get better and not let these things keep us apart. We have to find ways to come together and to promote equity, right? We have to find ways to come together and to take care of people who are in need. So some, some would say everything is a barrier, right? And they would uh, continue to build those walls up between people. And then others would say nothing is a barrier. That's what the world is telling us. It's very different from what the church models for us. Number four... There is no grace or tolerance or love for anyone who rejects your view on race. Oh, you don't believe what I believe? There is no grace, 
There is no love. There is none. This is the cancel culture. If you disagree with me, uh, you're dead to me, right? I'm in my group. I've got my ideology. And if, if you get out of line, if you counter what we hold true, uh, this is it. There's no grace or tolerance or love for anyone who rejects your view on race. The goal is not to unite a diverse people with different backgrounds, but to conform everyone to a human system of sorting and morality. Uh, You will conform or you will be condemned. That's that. Which is it? Now, this is a very warped, unbiblical uh, method of handing out grace and handing out wrath. Who gets the grace? Everyone who, who agrees with me. Who gets the wrath? Everyone who doesn't. Friends, this is unbiblical. This is not the way God's people are, disp- are to dispense grace and wrath. What did Jesus say? Even the world loves those who loves them. You, you love those who love you? Even the world does that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. For your Father is kind to the wicked and the righteous. It, look, it's not enough to say, you agree with me? I love you. You disagree with me? I hate you! It, it's worldly. It's worldly. And it will divide the church. That's not the way the love of Christ works. There is grace from Christ for everyone. So we are not turning into a people who are, and here's a big problem too, once you're in your group and you've got your people around you, there's often a desire to overlook the sins in that group. It's a very warped under, you're in my group? So what if you drove a car through a crowded, you're in my group? I mean, you probably knew what you, you know, it needed to be done, you know. There's this overlooking of the sins within your group, right? Broke in and stole some stuff? Well, you know, it's understandable given society. There's this overlooking of sin in the group, and then everyone seems to be ready to throw the first stone at anybody who's not in your group. It's a very warped and self-centered view of morality. The grace and the wrath are not handed out in a biblical manner. So there's no grace or tolerance or love for anyone who rejects your view on race. The grace and the guilt are off. What did the early church model for us? Well, they showed us where to reach across all human boundaries with Christ's love and truth. Here's the love of Christ. Here's the truth of Christ. And you get it too, and you get it too. What group are you in? You get it too. What group group are you in? And you get it too. Everyone gets the love. Everyone gets the truth. Nobody gets a rock. Friends, do you see how this is a much better way to build a new humanity? The world is tearing the whole thing down. Number five, so, so you can see how these build on each other. There's no spiritual agreement. People should be sorted. Um, the barriers are fine, or, or there's so many of them, right? There's no grace for the other side. And then what kind of power do they unleash? What drives the social change? Well, it's political, social, and financial power. Not spiritual. The power that energizes these movements, the power that tries to conform people into their group is political, it's social, it's financial. It's meant to form a uniform community, not a diverse community. It has no spiritual power from above. The power comes from anger. The power comes from retaliation and vengeance and power lust and politics. This is man's power, not God's power. This is a uniform human community. This is not a diverse spiritual community. And the tech giants jump in. 
and threatened to pull out the Amazon warehouse if you continue with that nonsense. The NCAA jumps in and says, we won't come to your state anymore if you don't get with the program. This is the power. This is the power. And this is not God's power. This community they're building will punish any deviance from the narrative. It's very legalistic. And it's polarizing and uniform in its radical convictions. It punishes anyone who's different. And it rallies around dehumanizing, destructive goals based on race. I hope based on what you've heard this morning, you see the difference. The early church set a great example for us. Marvel at God's supernatural effort to unify a saved people from every nation. Reject all notions of supremacy or inferiority based on human differences. Identify and forsake all barriers of discrimination. Reach across all human boundaries with Christ's love and truth. Embrace and unleash God's powerful presence in the diverse community. That's what we're supposed to do. And so when someone comes along and beckons us to take our place in a moral revolution by filing into radical social uniform camps, agreeing to destroy anyone who disagrees with our group, downplaying any immorality or inconsistency within our group, striving to build a world that conforms to our group's radical agenda, we have to say, no, thank you. I already have a plan to build a new world I already have a plan to reconcile all peoples of all the world. I already have a plan for a utopia where the streets are made of gold and there's one king who can actually keep everybody equal, who can actually administer true justice and right every wrong. I've already got all that. I've got it in Christ. I don't need your radical social policy. I don't need that. I don't need that. We've got a long way to go in our country and I hope you don't hear me saying we're already there, but we've got to build on the foundation of Christ. The church has to build on the foundation of Christ. Look, I know the church has gotten a lot of things wrong. The church has gotten this wrong a lot. But the truth is this. The church is the only place that is getting this right in this world right now. It is. This church is the only place that will get this right forever. Don't walk away from that. Don't walk away from that to any of the extreme. You don't need that. You don't need that. You already have it in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would purify our hearts. We're so tempted, Lord, to, to drift, to believe that somewhere out there there's an outraged group of people who are ready to do extreme and illegal and radical things to fix the problem. We're so tempted to think the answer is somewhere else other than Jesus Christ. But we know, Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. To you we bring our hurts. To you we bring our fears. To you we bring our injustices. To you we bring our divisions. To you we bring it all, our outrage. Where else would we go? Who else could help us? And we pray, Lord, that in the church there would just be a resurgence of diversity and love, of forgiveness, of humility, of patience, we need to get back to where things began. We need to go back to where Peter crossed that boundary with all the love and the truth and your spirit fell in power. Lord, that's the power that'll change the world. That's the power that has changed the world, that is changing the world, and that will continue to change the world until all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Lord, forgive all of the violence in our country. Forgive all of the hatred in our country. Look upon us with your mercy and your grace, and may the church rise up and not be quiet and not be apologetic. Lord, we have what the world needs.
We have a Savior, a Savior who, with the Holy Spirit, can unite and unify all the world under one love. We can't find that anywhere else. I pray that you would rescue people, O Lord, from these radical social ideologies that are built on sand and will crumble. They will crumble. And I pray that you would give them something better. Jesus, build your church and may the gates of hell not prevail against it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.